0: It's that time of year again, the last Sunday, the last day before we ring in the new year. And hopefully that means that, that you are already starting to take some time to reflect on where you've been in 2023. That's what the new year gives us sort of a built-in opportunity to do. What has God done in our lives over the past 365 days? And then hopefully with faith and hope for the future, we're starting to look at What's coming around the bend? Where will the Lord take us in 2024? What is he going to accomplish through us, both as individuals and as a church family? The new year can be a really profitable holiday if we begin to think about these things. I read about a poll this past week. It was a Forbes health survey, okay? A Forbes health survey conducted in October. People were asked about goal setting and about New Year's resolutions. Maybe this is you, 62% said they feel pressure to set some type of New Year's resolution. And apparently as a result of that, 66% said they plan on making at least three resolutions for the year ahead. And what do you think the most common resolutions are? Here's the top seven. Number one, eat healthier. Good luck with that. Number two, work out more. Good this one made me laugh. Number three, drink less. I don't think they're talking about water. (laughs) Number four, manage stress better. Number five, quit smoking. That's good. Number six, cook more at home. Ooh. And number seven, have a better work-life balance. And, And that sounds about right. I think those are the types of things that people are most interested in going into a new year. How can I get healthier? How can I lose weight? How can I save more money? How can I find more pleasure in life? That's what the natural man thinks. And of course, it's December 31st, so hope and optimism fill the air. But of course, we all know the reality. Data has shown that over 90% of New Year's resolutions will be abandoned within the first 30 days. boo But The Bible's pretty clear about why that is. It's because of our fallen nature and because of the desires that war within us. We may start the new year with the best of intentions, but eventually, as time goes on, those really good intentions give way to what we really love, what our hearts really, really want. That's just the reality. The Apostle John, in his first letter, points out three categories of things that ultimately drive our passions and, over time, form our habits. You probably know these, right? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those things drive our passions. And they form habits in our lives if we're not careful to pay attention. Now, I'll give you an example of just how entrenched natural man is when it comes to desires and change. A Harvard researcher did a survey just this year. She surveyed patients with heart disease and found that when doctors informed them of all the changes they needed to make in order to extend their lifetime, only one out of seven actually followed those doctors' orders. So even when literal life and death are on the line, most human beings are disinclined to move away from the things that they really, 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 really want, even if it's bad for them. Now, as believers, we see this differently. We know that transforming the desires and the affections of the heart and developing new habits comes only through the work of the Holy Spirit as we cooperate with him in a sanctifying work. How do we do that? Well, a couple of ways. First, by renewing our minds, right? Bringing our thinking into line with what he says in his word. That's Romans 12, 2. And then second, by the dual work of putting off some things and putting on other things. That's Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Now, I just mentioned the idea of cooperating with the Spirit in the transforming work, and that, that is biblical. Sanctification, this process of being conformed to the image of Christ, is, is in one sense passive and in another sense active. In the one sense, we trust God's promise that he will conform us to the image of Christ in his timing, and that's a, that's a great praise, Right? And therefore we just we present ourselves to him and we yield to the work that the spirit wants to do through us, that's the passive side. God is going to accomplish what he wills, amen? But in the other sense, yes, sanctification involves us actively participating. And we know this because the Bible uses all of these amazing action words to tell us what we should be doing. Words like do, go, keep, walk, strive, labor, flee, and make every effort, and so many more. So both of those things, we hold that intention that God is going to accomplish his will, and yet we're to actively participate. So as we look into the new year this morning and next Sunday, I thought it was, this would be a really good and profitable time for us to talk about this active role that we play in our spiritual growth. How can we renew our minds and bring our thinking into line with God's will? How can we put off sin and put on godliness? And what can we start doing tomorrow in this new year that will bring about more spiritual fruit in our lives to the praise and glory of God? Those are important questions, I think, as we come into 2024. So let's grab our Bibles. Our text for today is 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in verse 6 and go down to verse 10. 1 Timothy 4. Let's remember who's writing, who's being written to and the purpose of this letter. This is the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to his younger protege, Timothy, and of course we categorize this work as one of the pastoral letters. What that means is that Paul, this seasoned apostle, is writing with the goal of imparting wisdom and practical instruction to Timothy because he has taken on the Difficult task of pastoring a newly established church in this Greek city of Ephesus. And that's a tough assignment for any man, let alone a younger man like Timothy. So Paul wants to give him all kinds of really practical instructions. Timothy, this is how you need to pastor this church. So he says in verse 6, In pointing out these things to the brethren, now what things? Well, really, Paul's talking about all the things that have been written in this letter up to this point. So more than three chapters of instruction. In pointing out these things to the brethren and the believers in Ephesus, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Hmm. I was waiting for the hissing and the booing. (laughs) Now, to our older, to our ladies who are on the older side of things, don't be offended by this. This is actually Paul just using a rhetorical device for effect. Do not be offended. What he's doing is drawing a contrast here. uh, Contrasting something that is trustworthy and true, right? The words of the faith and sound doctrine with things that aren't true and have no value. Worldly fables, Okay, and we actually have a similar saying in our English culture, right? I know you guys have heard the the phrase old wives' tale, right? There are things that get passed down from generation to generation that aren't true. They're catchy. uh, They make bumper stickers or whatever, but they they really don't have value because they're not true. Uh, My grandmother, I'll never forget. My grandmother used to always say, Jeffy. That's what she called me. It's okay. Jeffy. If you, go, if you dive into the pool right after you eat, what will happen? You'll sink to the bottom. That is an old wives' tale, right? Because it never happened. Because I'd eat and I'd jump right in the pool and everything was fine. It's an old wives' tale. So that, so listen, the CSB, here's how the CSB translates it. Pointless and silly myths. That's what Paul is intending to mean here. Okay. Trustworthy word, pointless myths. Okay, so what should Timothy do? Paul goes on. On the other hand... Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The CSB says, Train yourself in godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit or limited benefit, but godliness is profitable for all things. It has value in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then Paul adds this confirming statement in verse 9 it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance and you see Paul do that regularly to make this type of a statement he's saying look pay attention to what I just said because this is a universally true thing that you should understand he's emphasizing what he's just said verse 10 for is for this that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, let me just explain what that means in light of what we believe and teach here about God's sovereignty over salvation. It says, God, who is the savior of all men. No, that does not mean that all men get saved. And we know that's true because there's so many other passages that tell us that in fact, not all men are saved. So we need to look at what this means. What it simply means is this, there's only one being who is the savior of mankind, that is the living God. And that's true from the Old Testament to the New. And then just to be clear, who actually gets saved, Paul adds, especially of those who believe. That Greek adverb there for especially can mean above all or in particular. So we talk about Jesus' work being on the cross being sufficient to save all men, but only effectual for those who come to him in faith. So what Paul's saying here is this, we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of mankind and in particular, the savior of those who believe. That it's, it's as simple as that, but sometimes we get lost in the wording there. If you have any questions about that, come see me later. Okay, so why pick this text? Where are we going with this text in relation to New Year's Eve? If I took a poll of everybody sitting here this morning My guess is 100% of you will say, yes, I want to grow in godliness in 2024. Right? We would all say that. But then we ask the question, well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Let's look again at what Paul says about this. What is Paul to say to to Timothy? And by the way, as he's, I know this is a pastoral letter, but understand that the the instructions he gives Timothy are not just for people who go into full-time ministry, this, this, these principles are for every believer in every local church. Going back to verse 6, you see Paul recommend, and I'll put some principles up here. You see Paul recommend the diet that is necessary for producing godliness. We must be, he says, constantly nourished. On what? On the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. And then he says, which you have been following, which tells us that Paul knows something about Timothy. This is why Paul has elevated Timothy to a place of leadership in spite of his younger age. He knows, not only has Timothy uh, studied the words of the faith and knows them, not only has he taken hold of the doctrine that's necessary for faith, but he's been actively living it out. He has been following it. Okay, it's not enough just to know, is it? But it's active following, and and Paul knows this about Timothy. Timothy was being constantly nourished, sustained, and fed by the truth. And, And when we're doing that, the Spirit then applies that to our heart, and it produces in us what? A life of godliness. That's how the Spirit works. By the way, that English word godliness comes from an older English word, which is godlikeness. What it means simply is that over time, more and more, our character is beginning to reflect the character of God himself. We become God-like in that sense, godliness. Make sense? So that's number one, right? That's the necessary diet for godliness, very important. Principle number two in verse seven, and this is really the big idea for the text, look at the instruction that Paul gives. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now he's already said Timothy's producing godliness, but he says keep doing that, keep walking down this path discipline yourself to produce even more godliness in your life. And then, I love this, he stops and he draws a comparison, which these guys knew each other well, so I'm sure Paul realized that this, this example would help Timothy understand the principle. He says, basically, look, Timothy, you're there in Ephesus, you're, you're, in this, you're immersed in this Greek culture, and you and I both know that the Greeks put a high value on physical exercise, Right? They discipline their bodies in order to stay in shape and to look their best. By the way, when Paul uses that term bodily discipline, he's using a Greek word that from which we get our word gymnasium from. So that's exactly what he has in mind, working out in the gym. This is what Greeks do. They discipline their bodies in the gym, but for what purpose? What purpose? And to what effect? He says, while there is value in that kind of discipline, it has limited value. Why? Because it's only temporary in nature. So godliness, he says, is far greater, and he gives three reasons, basically. Godliness is far greater. Number one, it's not just good for the body, but godliness is good for body and soul. So it's, it's, it's far greater than physical exercise. Number two, physical health, it might draw the appreciation of your fellow human beings. That's true, right? We all notice people who look really fit, But guess what? Godliness draws the approval of God. So it's far greater. And number three, the value of a godly life is felt and experienced both in this life and in the age to come. Godliness has a forevermore application to it. And by the way, I think this is a really important principle, That especially as we're sharing our faith. Oftentimes, we don't talk about this because maybe we don't actually believe it. But it's true. Living a godly life does make life on the earth better. Do we believe that? We should. And by better, by better I don't mean that it magically makes all your troubles go away. And I don't mean that you know, it just makes everything easy and comfortable. But a life lived for God's glory in line with his word is always gonna produce in human beings more peace, more joy, more contentment, and more. And those are the things that people in this chaotic world are searching for right now. So if we don't talk about that as we share our faith, I think we're missing out. It really is better. Spurgeon actually affirmed this in his day. He said this, he said, I assure you, and there are thousands of my brethren who can affirm the same that after having tried the ways of sin we infinitely prefer the ways of righteousness for their own pleasure's sake living a godly life is going to be better on the earth why because the creator is telling you this right we we sometimes we look at the bible we're like oh god just wants to shut down all of our fun he's like no I love you, I know what's best for you. If you will simply listen to me, your life on earth will be better. Not pain free, not trial free, but certainly better. Make sense? So there's really no comparison in value between physical exercise and spiritual exercise. But you should know this, this is an important principle as well. Physical development and spiritual development do share something important in common. Both require strenuous effort if you want to make gains. Ooh, you mean it's not going to be easy? Mm. Don't we always want it easy? Especially like in our physical sense, we want to make it easy. Why can't I just, you know, become fit sitting on the couch? And we want the same thing spiritually. You're not going to get physically healthy by sitting on your couch scrolling through your phone all the time. It's, it's just physically impossible. And you won't grow spiritually by ignoring what God has told you in his word will produce godliness in your life. I mean, that's common sense, but it needs to be said out loud. So if you want to lay down some New Year's resolutions, here you go. Prioritize the type of training that is going to lead you towards that greater goal, spiritual development. Prioritize discipline in that arena because those things our spiritual development is profitable not just in this life but for the life to come okay so prioritize right and we'll i'm going to come back to physical training in just a second but the priority should be on your spiritual development so let's talk about this practically how can we apply this text there are so many ways to apply this text in first timothy four in fact too many to compress into one sermon so here's what i'm going to do here's my breakdown between today and next sunday Today we're going to talk about personal discipline in our walk, and next week we'll talk about the one another disciplines that we live out in the congregation of the saints, okay? So we'll get into all that stuff because both sides of that are important. When we talk about spiritual development and spiritual discipline, you have your personal and then you have those that you do in concert with one another. Make sense? Okay, before I jump into that, quick note about physical exercise. Listen, Paul affirms this in this text, and I would affirm it as well. I do think it's important that we care for these bodies that God has given us. There is value there, provided we do it with the right attitude and with the right goal in mind. That's huge, because we're to be stewards of everything that God has given us, including these earthly tents, even if you're disappointed with it. (laughs) And as you get older, you get more disappointed with it, right? But we're still to be good stewards of it. Listen, it doesn't honor God when we abuse our bodies or when we fail to or neglect to care for it. It doesn't honor God. So when we pursue healthy eating and exercise and when we turn away from things we know will harm our body, like smoking, I think we choose the path of wisdom and the path of good stewardship. Now, am I saying, okay, so now we can never eat a cheeseburger or a donut? Man, I hope not. Right, because that, that, that's not a fun life. The Bible tells us that we can enjoy those things with thankfulness in our hearts, but always we should examine why we do what we do. Right, That, that should just be a general principle. So am I eating and enjoying God's good, God's good gifts with a thankful heart? If so, then enjoy it. Or am I eating to try to satisfy something within me that really isn't from the Lord? That's an important question too. Am I working out only with a fleshly goal in mind? Am I not taking care of my body out of laziness or because I just despise discipline? These are important questions to ask. These are soul questions that we should wrestle with personally and in prayer with the Lord. For me, and I've shared this with some of you privately, I'm at a place now that I'm in my 60s where this principle has become very important because A certain level of of fitness and health is required for me to keep doing the job that I'm doing at the pace I'm doing it at. And so I have to be more careful than ever. When I was younger, I didn't think a word about this, right? Because I I just felt good all the time. Not so much anymore, right? So my choices in terms of diet and exercise are either gonna detract from my ability to pastor well or it's gonna strengthen me. So that if the Lord, by his grace, gives me another 10 or 15 years to do this, I can do it. But I have to pay attention to it, right? For consistency, for longevity, but most of all just to serve God and to serve his people. So these things matter, right? Caring for our bodies honors the Lord and physical exercise is a godly thing if by his grace it puts us in a position to more effectively serve him. That should be the goal, does that make sense? So right out of the gate, if, if, if look, at the end of the year, we're all thinking about weight loss. We're all thinking about getting fitter, right? So, so if so, if that's on your heart right now, think of it in more spiritual terms. Are you going to set these resolutions or goals so that in the long run, it's going to make you a more effective servant for God's glory? Amen? Okay, so I want to talk about four personal, traditional, spiritual disciplines. All of them are taken from Scripture. And all of them have been talked about and written about for 2000 years or longer. There really is nothing new under the sun when it comes to spiritual disciplines. I mean, there's all those books out there you can buy about this. They all talk about the same things, right? Because there's really nothing new under the sun. But I'd like to suggest one thing that you should do before you make any New Year's resolution for the new year. First of all, consider taking stock of where you're at right now spiritually. Take stock of where you're at. Do a, the term has been used, a spiritual inventory of the things that you're aware of in your life that need to be addressed, okay? We're we're talking about athletes today. Well, guess what? Athletes at the highest levels do this all the time. They're looking at their game and saying, which areas of my game do I need to do better? So basketball player might look at his life and go, man, I need better footwork and I need to focus more on rebounding, okay? And, And so- If you don't stop long enough to acknowledge the weaknesses in your game, guess what? You're gonna coast in your strengths. And you're not gonna improve in those areas that really need to be improved. And we can fall into that. We're like, I'm really good at this, but I know I don't do that well, but I'm not gonna pay attention to that. You, You won't survive as an athlete at a high level doing that. You don't wanna coast in your strengths. So as of December 31st, 2023, what are the weaknesses in your spiritual game? That's something to process with the Lord. Well, I I struggle with gossiping. Okay, good. Take that to the Lord. I, I have a really hard time extending forgiveness. I don't love other people as much as I should. I'm spending far too much time on my phone and not enough time in God's word. There's an ungodly thing that has gotten a foothold in my life. I do too many things out of a desire to please other people and not the Lord. My prayer life is non-existent. I wrestle with envy. Listen, the the list of potential weaknesses in our spiritual game is endless, right? Don't let it discourage you, but if you don't look at it, then it's hard to address it. Does that make sense? Identifying those things and bringing them to the Lord is crucial. So we come to the Lord and we say, look, Lord, you know these things about me. By the way, you don't have to hide them. He knows. You know these things about me. And I want to be transformed in these areas. It is my desire to grow and to see more spiritual fruit in my life. So Lord, if I've been thinking wrongly about things, renew my mind. And Lord, if there's things I need to put off, help me to put it off. If there's things I need to put on, help me to put it on. And, and, and these types of prayers are things we should be doing constantly, coming to the throne of grace all the time and saying, Lord, I can't do this in my own strength but you're being honest with God and saying, these are the weaknesses of my game and I need help. And then we take ownership of our part in the sanctification process. Look, Paul writes in verse 10, look what he says, we labor and strive. Those are action words. Yes, first we come to the Lord because apart from him, if he doesn't do the work, then there's no value to it. But we come to the Lord, we say, Lord, I need help. And then we labor and we strive. What does he say? Because we fixed our hope on the living God, we labor and strive to please him. Amen? Okay, so let's, let's look at these four areas. The first one is probably really obvious, right? It all starts with us having an active habit of being in God's word. Friends, I have looked and looked for, for three decades now. There is no substitute for this. <laughs> there is no easy path other than being in God's word man, it'd be so fun to write a book and say, I've discovered something brand new. It's not. You need to have an active habit of being in God's word. As Paul told Timothy, be constantly nourished on the truth that comes from scripture. And by the way, the physical comparison is again appropriate. If you neglect nourishing your body, what will happen? You will become unhealthy and unproductive. The same is true in your spiritual life. On the flip side, if your physical body is being constantly nourished, you're going to feel healthy and strong, and you'll be productive. Physical and spiritual, there's some really interesting parallels there. Now, I'm not going to tell you this morning how to best study God's Word. I have strong opinions about it. I know it works for me, but I'm not going to tell you how to do it. There is no right way. There is no approved way to do Bible study. You have to figure this out for yourself. I can help you. I can give you suggestions, but you need to figure this out for who you are and what your schedule is and what your life season looks like right now. But you've got to figure out a way to do it. Some of you will adopt a Bible reading plan in 2024 and you will plow through it and you will, a year from today, you will go, praise the Lord, I made it through and that is wonderful. You will reap amazing benefits if you're ingesting all of that scripture. That is wonderful. For others of you, that type of thing sounds awful because, because operating under the, the weight of those expectations and that daily like, stress of saying, I've got to get to this chapter, that's really, really hard for you. Okay, So if that describes you and you're like, that doesn't work for me, well, you need to find a better way. And so I might suggest, find a Bible reading plan that spans two years. That's okay too. By the way, I'm a real advocate. I don't like reading that much. I like to go slow. I'll, I'll take years and years and years to get through the Bible, but I will go super slow and deep. Some people are like, nope, I wanna take in as much as possible. You need to figure this out for yourself. So find a plan that spans two or three years, or just set specific goals and say, here's what I wanna do. I wanna study in 2024, I wanna go through the book of Proverbs, I wanna pick one gospel and three of Paul's letters. And you'll be amazingly blessed if you do that. It doesn't have to be the entire Bible in a year. That's great, but find something that works for you. There are a myriad of ways to do this, to plan your study and to find better quality study time. And by the way, if you need help with this, you're like, Jeff, I've always failed at this. You know, reach out to an elder or a discipler and say, can we sit down, over coffee, can we sit down and talk about, uh, let me... I would sit down with you and say, tell me about your schedule. Tell me about your personality. Tell me about your past study habits. And we can help you find a plan that works for you. But you've got to be in God's Word in 2024. There's no way around that. By the way, there's some really creative ways to do this. I'll give you two that I've done in the past. I took a picture of my Bible, this is 2 Samuel 7. One of the ways that I like to study the Bible is I use color codes. And I'll take one color, and I will call, I will highlight names and places, and then I'll take another color, and, and pick these are uh, uh, questions that come out of the text for me, and another one that's well, these are the commands that I read. These are the character traits I want to develop. So you begin to color code that, and and then and then what you can do is once you start bringing those off the page, you can start studying more deeply on those things like. Okay, well, there's a name I haven't seen in the Bible. I need to, f- who is that person? Or that's the first time I've ever read that geographical place. I'm gonna find that on what? A map. <laughs> right? Or, you know what, that's an interesting question. I read, I read that, that, that raises a question. I'm gonna research that. So this is a way to slow down and really go deep. That's, that's just one creative way. The other thing that I might suggest is that you find a good commentary Okay. Find a good commentary. Here's, here's my, my, uh, uh, my John commentary by D.A. Carson. Commentary. So what you do with a commentary is you pick a text, read that text first, right? Analyze it, color code it, highlight it, underline it, whatever. Try on your own first to say, this is what I think the point of the passage is. But then you go to your scholar who is literally with you in that book and say, what have I missed? Is my interpretation line up with what this scholar says? Listen, if I, if I offered you guys, if I said to you guys, every day next year, D.A. Carson is gonna come and sit with you in your room and study the Bible with you, 100% of you would say, yes, please. Guess what, commentaries can do that for you. You're literally, it's like having a scholar sitting next to you in your Bible study, okay? So what this does is it helps you to break down the passage. And it helps you to, here's the thing. Bible study should beget more Bible study. Let me say that again. Bible study should beget more Bible study. As you begin to ingest that scripture, as you begin to see the questions that come out of the text, see the names and the places and the character traits and the commands, and it comes off the page and you go, I'm gonna look at that more deeply. Pretty soon what happens is you get more excited about learning, but you gotta dive in. You gotta start somewhere amen and again if you have questions or you want help with this we would love to help okay so everything starts there with god's word but here's the thing being in the word will naturally produce in you a need and hopefully a desire to then pray more right it really should if you're in god's word and you're you're paying attention you're not just checking a box but you're paying attention it is going to cause you to want to pray because it's sort of the logical next step. As you're reading these, these, these unbelievable truths in the Bible, you should say, I need to go to the throne of grace and ask for help. That should be the natural thing. Lord, I, want, I see what John is saying here. I want to grow in this. Okay? we'll take it to him. Or I see Paul says I need to persevere in these things. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me. Father, I see in this... that I have to put that off. And oh, I see I need to put this on. Take that to the Lord in prayer. This should be a natural thing. Now, prayer can happen in a variety of ways and forms. And uh, again, I can't tell you how to do this for your own season of life, but I can tell you there's two types of prayer that's mentioned in scripture. Number one is the get away and be quiet before the Lord, right, just you and him type of prayer. And then there's the pray all day without ceasing type of prayer. And both of them are important. One is important because it's a time, first of all, we all need more quiet in our life, do we not? A little solitude, but it allows us to go deeper, to be a little more intense with the Lord. And then the other one is just an all day ongoing dialogue with your closest friend. So they are very different and both are important. Both of them require discipline coming back to 1 Timothy 4. Discipline. The first, it's a matter of disciplining yourself to find adequate time and that particular place where you can go and meet with the Lord. We know even Jesus did this, right? He went away, the text says, to meet with his father, right? So you got, again, I can't tell you how to do it. You got little kids in the house you're married, whatever it is, you've got to work that out with your spouse, but I need to find a time and a place to do that. The other one is a matter of disciplining yourself all through the day to constantly have the Lord at the forefront of your mind. Because we have a, chance, we have a tendency to do this. We, Bible study, done, close the book, on with my day. That's checkbook Christianity, checkbox, I should say, Christianity. That's not what the Lord wants. He wants you to take that with you, All throughout the day and to pray without ceasing right then in addition to that so we have two types of prayer then there's the third part of prayer that's so critical and that is interceding for those you love and care for your family first of all but then your family in the body of Christ and this is all a living out of what Paul says in Philippians 2 he says with humility of mind we consider others more important than ourselves We don't just look out for our own interests, but for the interests of others as well. So we're interceding for our immediate family and also our church family. And if we're growing in love for the body in love for our brothers and sisters, prayer for them over time will become not not a burden, but an actual joy. But you gotta discipline yourself for this. That's number two. Number three is meditation. Now, that word may trigger some of you. So let me explain what I mean by meditation. I'm not talking about Eastern mysticism where you go into a room and you sit cross-legged and you start chanting and you empty your mind for the point of relaxation. That is not what we're talking about. Christian meditation has been practiced for thousands of years, right? In every generation of of the faith. And it's simply a discipline of focusing your thinking on the Lord and what you've learned in his word. That's it. That's it. It's really not fancy. It's feeling the weight and the importance of the things that you're learning in Scripture. Amen? We have several great examples of this very word being used in Scripture. Joshua was commanded to meditate on God's law day and night. Meditate on it. And then, as a result, to be careful to do everything in it. In Psalm 119, David cries out, Oh, how I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. So meditation in the Bible involves pondering God's word and deeply reflecting on its truths. That should be an all day process. Sometimes you'll stop, and maybe this is, this is your experience. You'll read a text, you'll be blown away by it, and you'll stop and you'll meditate in that moment. That's good. Or it's something that you just take with you throughout the day and you're continually bringing them back. We talk about letting it marinate, right? Some of you cook, cooking folks, right, your chefs, we marinate meat for a long period of time. Let the truths of scripture marinate in your mind, in your heart, all through the day. David called this treasuring God's word in his heart. He called it hiding God's word in his heart. It's always there, right? Why, and he, and he talked about it being an operative principle in order to stave off temptation to sin. Meditating on scripture can do that. And we see this in the New Testament as well. In fact, just a handful of verses beyond our text for this morning. Timothy is told to be absorbed in the things that Paul had written to him. Same concept, be absorbed. We don't just read that scripture and then move on. We're absorbed with it. It stays with us throughout the day. If we've come to love God's instructions, if we've come to believe that what he tells us in his word is for our good and his glory, then we are gonna constantly meditate on those truths. We're gonna let them marinate in our minds and our hearts. Make sense? So we're studying, and studying is gonna probably naturally lead to prayer, and study and prayer is gonna lead to meditation as well. These things are connected. They're not isolated silos of disciplines. They, They work together. The last one is fasting. (laughs) Boo. Never talk about that on New Year's Eve, right? Fasting. Now, again, don't jump to a conclusion here. I'm not just talking about food. There's a lot of things we can fast from. First, we should acknowledge that fasting from food is actually not commanded of the believer in Scripture. It's not commanded, but it is presented as something that can be very beneficial. In the book of Acts, we're told that the earliest disciples fasted and prayed before they made big decisions. Okay, so that tells us something, right? Tells us that fasting and prayer often go hand in hand. But the central idea behind fasting, this is important now, the central idea behind fasting is it causes you to lay aside comfort and to take your eyes off the things of this world so that you can more, more completely focus on the Lord. So we're saying it's sacrificial. I'm laying aside my comfort. Nobody likes saying no to a meal or to three meals or whatever. We lay aside that comfort. We lay aside distractions so that we can focus more on the Lord. It's not a way to manipulate God, right? To, to give you things because you've, well, I've done something for you. You should do something for me. That's not right. It's not for the sake of saying, well, I fast, right? That's actually condemned in scripture to try to look more spiritual before other people. It's so that you can focus on the Lord. So you can choose to fast from meals and that will humble you and remind you of your great need for God. That's the point. It reminds you that God provides for you and that you, you cannot live on your own. You need him. But you can also fast from things that aren't necessarily sinful, but it become a distraction in your life. And this is important as well. Things that you recognize are dragging you away from devotion to Christ. I've seen believers fast from television, from social media, fasting from shopping, or from a particular hobby that maybe is taking too much time, or just choosing certain foods that might have a hold on you. You're like, I That that thing has a hold on me. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to fast from that. The list is endless, right? And again, I can't tell you how to do this. It's going to be unique unique to each of you. And if you identify something that you want to give up for a time and you commit that to the Lord, here's the key principle now. If I put off, I want to do what? Put on. So I lay aside something, put it off and say, I'm going to fast for a period of time from that thing. Then we fill that extra time with what? The other disciplines, Bible study, prayer, meditation, etc. So it's not just, I'm not just creating a void. I'm filling it with something that is God honoring and God glorifying. Make sense? Okay. Those are the personal disciplines. Now, I'm going to wrap up here in just a second. Next week, we'll talk about other disciplines because there's many more that relate to how we function in the body of Christ. But these are four things that you need to think about for 2024, Okay, let me give you some warnings now, all right? Because I never know, when we talk about these things, I never know what's going through your mind. Some of you guys are like, this is too much. Some of you are like, I'm so excited. Uh, and, And everywhere in between. But let me give you a couple of warnings. First of all, beware of the resolution trap. Here's what I mean by that. You may walk out of here convicted about something that you need to change in your life, and you may dive into this next week with all kinds of fresh energy you will be so excited. Please know there's gonna be ups and downs in this process. It's not gonna be easy. I can, listen, I can testify to this personally because I used to be this way. This is why I put this one up here because you're literally talking about Jeff circa about 25 years ago. Like, I get so excited and so convicted, man, and I'm gonna jump into this thing, and, and before you know it, I've fallen way short of my goal, and then I'm discouraged, And then I'm like, maybe that wasn't true. And I'm playing all kinds of mind games with myself. Sometimes you've got to fall back before you can move forward. There's going to be ups and downs. So labor and strive towards that goal, but also manage your expectations. Guys, spiritual growth, maturing the faith takes time. It is a process. It will take time to see fruit. So the key is in this ups and up and down process, do not give up. Continue to labor and strive. Keep pressing on, entrusting yourself to the Lord that he will honor your labor and striving and he will complete his work in you. Amen? Good. Second one, beware of engaging in spiritual disciplines with the wrong motive. Sometimes we go, you know what, God, I am gonna go out and I'm gonna do great things for you and I'm gonna get... Like some of us are like, we're list makers, right? I'm gonna do this and this and this and this, and therefore you will love me more. Therefore I will earn more of your favor. Listen, if you belong to God as his child, he already fully loves you. (laughs) You're not gonna earn his favor by doing things. And don't slip into the false idea that because you're engaging in biblical disciplines that you're then owed something from God. Well, I'm doing these things, Lord, so you owe me comfort. You owe me prosperity. You owe me a lack of trouble. It doesn't work that way. All of it is by his grace. Every breath you take is by his grace. So don't confuse the means with the end goal. We don't engage in spiritual practices for their own sake. We don't engage in spiritual practices to make ourselves feel better or for any secondary God-adjacent benefit that we might feel from it. We engage in spiritual disciplines to know the Lord. He is the goal, to know him, to abide with him more deeply, and, to again, to present ourselves so that he might strengthen us to be better servants for his glory and for his kingdom. So just be careful that we don't get this, we, 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 the, the motive gets mixed up and we confuse these things. God is the goal of spiritual disciplines. And finally, last thing, again, beware of biting off too much too fast. I'm just going to say this. Growing in spiritual disciplines does not require moving mountains. It requires one conviction at a time, one decision at a time, one step of faith in the right direction at a time. Uh, Maybe you've heard this old saying, small decisions can lead to great destinations. And again, sometimes we get so excited, we start to think so big, I'm going to do all these things for the Lord. And then when it doesn't happen, we go, ah, I tried, but it just didn't work. What's required is simply this present yourself to the Lord as his beloved child, and then take one step in the right direction. And then build on that over time. Right? Don't go, I'm going to do 12 things starting next week. One small step at a time, one victory at a time, sometimes falling back, sometimes moving forward, but always laboring and striving for the Lord, for his glory and then you build on those victories. Listen, this is the testimony of my life. There's a couple of you in here this morning who knew me 25 years ago, okay? And it took, it took time, and it was building one little thing upon another. I made a good decision here, then I fell back, then I made a right decision here, and the Lord honored that. You build upon those victories. So be constantly nourished in the word and in sound doctrine, Amen. Avoid the things that are silly distractions in your life. The things that have no value. Instead, Paul says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Labor and strive to that end as you fix your hope on the living God. That's it. Right? It's not complicated, is it? But we complicate it. So this week, what, here's what I want you to do this week. Go back to this text in 1 Timothy 4 and study it, pray about it, meditate on it. And if you have to fast, go ahead and fast as well. But keep coming back to this principle. We'll talk about it more next week as we talk about the one and others. And guys, I'm gonna I be praying for you this week that this is good and profitable, not discouraging, but encouraging and motivating and convicting. Nod your head if you're with me. Good, let's pray about it. Father, thank you for uh, the time this morning. God, I pray right now for myself and for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I don't know what's going on in their heads and hearts now because it's always hard to read these things and and to then process through convictions in our minds and Lord, doing spiritual inventories, these can be difficult things. And so I pray right now that your spirit would be a comfort to them that your spirit would remind them that you love them, that they are loved, that your spirit would remind them, Lord, that everything that they have up to this point at the end of this year is by your grace, that the spirit would remind them, Lord, that you still want to do a great work in their life in this coming year, and God, that they would rest in that, to know that you are going to complete that work. And then, Father, I pray for conviction. I pray for us then to... to pray through carefully the things that that we want to do in 2024. God, that you would grow us, that you would stretch us, that you would strengthen us as a church family, that you would do all of this, Lord, not for our benefit, but for your glory and for the good of your kingdom. So help us to work through these things, to navigate this process carefully. Be with us now, even as we sing now, and as we reflect on the things that we've learned. Be with us, Lord Jesus. We love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.